morning. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and open to the book of Romans, I'll be reading today's uh, sermon text. Um, I'll read verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 18, or 8 through 17, excuse me. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Uh, you'll find this passage on page 939. Romans chapter 1, starting verse 8 down through 17. Romans 1, starting in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. This is our third consecutive Memorial Day weekend that we have come to serve. Uh, we're delighted to be here. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for your willingness to work alongside us. We are the great beneficiaries of your kindness and your hospitality. What a blessing it is for myself, for our interns, for our youth group. Uh, to be among you. I am blessed to stand in front of you today and to give you the Word of God. Our verse today that we're going to be concentrating on is verse 16, which was just read a moment ago. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek about a year ago, I was speaking with my cousin. He's a good bit older than I am. Uh, and he told me of a story which occurred in the mid-1950s, this is before I was even born, when he was a business college student in my little town of Dubois, Pennsylvania. While he was there one day walking through the streets of Dubois, he heard a clamor coming out of a bar room uh, there was a woman in there that was cackling. She was making a lot of noise. She was making a lot of fuss. And as he approached the entrance to the bar, he looked in and much to his shame and dismay, the woman that was in there, which was causing all of the fuss, was our aunt. Uh, she was in there. She was drunk out of her mind. 
she was uh, loud, she was obnoxious, and her voice was just pouring out into the streets. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we do want to pause and pray one more time, asking, Lord, please, in the name of Jesus, that you would empower the preaching this morning, that you would use me, Lord, to communicate in a way which is going to encourage your people to be more bold in their evangelism. Lord, I also pray that if there's any who are here today who do not know your son, that this powerful gospel today will be used, Lord, to bring them to faith. Lord, this, may this please be a, a day of great rejoicing where we see the dead come to life. But, Lord, whatever you are going to do, Lord, please do it for your glory, and I'd ask, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit and use me, Lord, today to accomplish that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Going to be talking about the gospel today, but interestingly, the gospel is not defined in the verse that we are looking at today. Uh, Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Let me just give an illustration that you are probably familiar with, but one that will at least drive home or remind you of what the gospel is. Let's remember that there is a God. He has created us. Uh, we are sustained by him. He is holy. He is perfect. He demands holiness. He demands perfection. But we have a problem, and our problem is we have rebelled against him. We have broken his law. We have sinned against him. And there is a price for that sin. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall surely die. Left to ourselves, we would be damned to an eternity in hell. But God loved sinners like you and me, and he did something for us. And that is, he sent his son Jesus from heaven to live for us, to die in our place, to be raised for our justification, to ascend back to heaven, and now whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a quick summation of the gospel. If I can, let me illustrate it for you very quickly. Uh, for purposes of this illustration, Dave, I'm going to need you to step forward, and this is, this is going to be a real stretch for you. But for purposes of this illustration, Dave is God. Okay. Uh, bow, bow before me. Okay, all right. Yes, uh, we had a precursor to that. All right. Um, my, my left hand is me. And what I have on me are my sins. This Bible is going to represent my sin. My sin is upon me. It's upon me for a good reason, and that is because I have committed those sins. I'm responsible for those sins. Um, my right hand represents the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect. He is perfect in that he came from heaven to earth. He was born of a virgin. He was born without sin. He, he committed no sin, and this hymn book that I'm holding here is a record of the righteousness of Christ, not only the fact that he was born without sin, but he completely fulfilled or obeyed the law of God. So here I am with my sin on me, standing before God, a holy judge. Here is Jesus Christ, who is righteous, who has never committed any sin, but has completely fulfilled the law of God. We're told in the Bible 
in the book of Isaiah that we are all like sheep, that we've all gone astray, that we've all turned everyone to his own way. Well, something very interesting and wonderful and mysterious happened on the cross. And the Bible says that the Lord, that is the Lord God, has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You're now putting my sin on Jesus. My sin is no longer on me. My sin is on Jesus. With my sin on Jesus, God the Father punishes Jesus, and Jesus now pays in full for our sins. You've heard that before. Christ died for our sins. But our salvation is not just the fact that Jesus took our sins and he paid for them, he died for them, and they went away. Also, what happens when we are saved is that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is now placed upon us. And so, now when I go before God to be judged, not only are my sins missing, but the righteousness of God is there. So if God were to ask, and he won't, but if he were to ask, why should I let you into my heaven? My answer is, Jesus Christ paid for all of my sins and his righteousness has been placed upon me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so now that I have given my sins to Jesus, he has died for them, his righteousness is upon me. We sum it up by saying, for he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him, that is in Christ, we might have or be the righteousness of God. And then when I come to the end of myself and I cry out to God and I say, I am a sinner, I cannot save myself, but I believe that Jesus lived and died for me. God, please save me in the name of Jesus and he hears my prayer and he saves me in very broad strokes and in simple terms, that is the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, with that in mind, I'm working under the assumption that most of you who are here today know that gospel and you have been saved by that gospel. So what we're going to look at today is the gospel, first of all, as it relates to embarrassment. For Paul is going to say something here which is a little bit shocking, and that is he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now I do realize that there is a difference between shame and embarrassment, but because the sermon today is uh, alliterated with the letter E. We're going to use the word embarrassment. I know there's a little bit of nuanced difference between shame and embarrassment, but I think you understand what I mean. Notice, please, that it is a personal remark from the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say, you should not be embarrassed, although you should not be embarrassed, but he uses himself and he says, I am not embarrassed, which begs the question, how could one even imagine that the greatest Christian that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, would ever even be thinking about being embarrassed about the gospel? That is unthinkable. Well, is there any reason why Paul even needs to clarify that? If I were to stand in front of you and say, I just want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, 
I have decided not to become a ballerina. He would say, well, we didn't even know you were considering it. No, I wasn't considering it. I just wanted you to know I've decided not to do it. That would be nonsensical. Well, well, well Paul here is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, which puts in our minds perhaps the thought that maybe Paul struggles with some of the same temptations that we struggle with to shrink away from the gospel. See, Paul was a human being just like we are. And I'm going to argue that all Christians face this, this, this temptation to some extent. You'll remember that Peter certainly was tempted in this way, and three times before the, ro the rooster crowed, Peter denied the Lord. And I myself can certainly identify with this temptation. And that is that every time I am contemplating an evangelistic conversation, there is another conversation, and it goes on in my mind, where I have to convince myself to share the gospel. And it goes something like this. I'm in proximity to someone. It becomes apparent that they don't know the Lord, or I'm not sure whether they know the Lord, and I will hear, in my mind, the Great Commission. Go to all nations, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, and, 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 and do not be ashamed of me, for if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you before my Heavenly Father. So this person is going to spend eternity somewhere. You need to speak to him. You have an opportunity right now. You know the power of the gospel. You need to speak right now. And then there's this other half of me that says, is now really the best time? Maybe if I just wait and live to give the gospel another day, it will be more appropriate. Let me first build some credibility with the person before I get into it. Or what will they think of me? Or whatever. And, and there's this battle. And, and maybe, look, I hope that I am unique. I hope I'm the only person in the room that struggles with this. I hope this is irrelevant and all of you are just crazy bold and you never have this conversation within your own mind. But I'm telling you that the person who is preaching to you today, when I am contemplating whether or not to share the gospel with someone, there is a debate which goes on in my mind as to whether or not I should speak about Jesus. And the problem is not that I am shy. I am not shy. Um, the problem is when this subject comes up, mysteriously, all of a sudden, I become a little bit sheepish and I start to tiptoe lightly into the approach. By nature, I am, I am very bold and fearless when it comes to people. But now when the subject of Jesus comes up, I start to take on maybe a little bit of a different demeanor. And maybe Paul is telling these Romans at, these, at this particular time of, of his personal confidence in the gospel, not because he wants to brag or because he wants to boast. Maybe he's doing it to set an example for them, but maybe Paul knows that Rome was a place of pride and prominence and power. And the whole concept of a crucified Jewish Savior conveys nothing but weakness and defeat. And so what Paul is doing is he's telling them, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and you should not be ashamed of the gospel, but I know that you might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because I know the city where you live, and the city where you live is the capital of the world, and they are the most prominent city in the world, a place filled with power, a place which operates under the premise of power. Have you ever noticed that places where people are educated or influential or worldly wise or arrogant, amongst those people, we, when we share the gospel, if we share the gospel at all, we share it a little bit more sheepishly and we tone it down a little bit and we take the edge off of it. Whereas if we are speaking to someone who might be weaker or poorer or would have no influence or would have limited education, we are a little bit more bold in our presentation of the gospel. But maybe if you were living in the year AD 70, uh, 57 in Rome, there might be this intimidation factor. And maybe that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Or maybe Paul mentions the fact that he is not ashamed of the gospel in order to get their minds to start thinking about the subject of intimidation or the threat that might come into play. Uh, it's, a, it's a city, Rome, where martyrs were infamously put to death or thrown to the lions or were beheaded or were taken out and to fight with the gladiators. And, and you have Nero here who is about to lose his mind and, and he's about to lose all restraint and he's about to begin tossing Christians to the lions. And maybe Paul gives this word about not being ashamed because he knows there might be the threat of them being ashamed because there might be the fear of martyrdom. Now I know that living in the United States this day and time, we don't face that same kind of threat. And maybe in part, we don't face that threat because of Memorial Day, because there were people who died so that we could be free and so that we can still preach the gospel and that threat is not in front of us as Americans. But, there's, but, but the principle you can understand, and that is that if a person has the power to make you less happy, whether it is a boss that can demote you or whether it is a mother-in-law that can make every Christmas a nightmare or whether it's a neighbor who will gossip about you. If there's someone who has some power over you, there is a temptation to shrink back and to disown Jesus Christ in the name of self-preservation. I think where I see it most of all is among public school teachers. Public school teachers who love Jesus Christ. Public school teachers who love Jesus Christ more than I do, but they are told by their principal and by the Board of Education that if you in any way identify with Christ or speak of anything which is moral or say something is right or something is wrong, you're going to lose your job. There is a temptation to lighten up our witness in the name of self-preservation. I know it very well myself. If you identify as a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, in some settings, you are committing social suicide and you can forget about the reindeer games. You're not going to be invited to them anymore. Well, maybe it wasn't just intimidation or maybe it wasn't just persecution, 
But maybe Paul is giving them this word about not being ashamed of the gospel when he was thinking about the subject of insanity, of being crazy. Maybe Paul needed to inform them that he himself is not ashamed of the gospel because he himself understands what it means to be perceived to be out of your mind if you are a Christian. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. In the next chapter, Paul says, For the natural or the unsaved person does not accept or receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are foolishness to them. Remember when Paul was on trial before Festus and he shares his testimony and, and, and what is the conclusion that Festus has in Acts 26, 24. Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind or as it says in the King James, thine much learning hath made thee mad. Maybe Paul knew that those people would be perceived to be insane if they own Jesus Christ. Or, or there's another one. Maybe Paul tells them that he's not ashamed of the gospel because when we own Jesus Christ publicly, we are perceived to be fools. We are perceived to be idiots, that we, we don't know what we're doing. Uh, there's, there will be others that will say, we are really uneducated. Uh, uh, not only are you crazy, but, but, but you're just a fool. And so the best way not to deflate your self-image is just to keep Jesus private. I mean, you can live a godly life and not lie and help your neighbor and set a great example. But by all means, if you want to preserve your reputation in the world, keep your mouth shut. Now again, maybe you're shocked to know that your preacher this morning is off-tempted to, to deny the gospel. But you shouldn't be. The reason you shouldn't be is because 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, we all struggle in various uh, aspects of sin, and for you and for me, it's the same. There's at least some shyness when it comes to sharing the gospel. I'm not exempt, and Paul was not exempt. And this is why Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, told his disciples that all men were going to hate, the, hate them because of him. Turn, please, to John chapter 15. Look at verses 18 through 21. John 15, 18 through 21. Here's a last-minute reminder that Jesus gives to his disciples. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me... They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. 
But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus said the reason that they're going to hate you is because they hated me. And Paul understood that being a Christian meant that you were possibly going to be intimidated or you were going to be made fun of or you're going to be persecuted or you're going to be martyred or you're going to be called a fool or you're going to be deemed out of your mind. Paul could write on this subject with great passion and great authority because in the process of being saved, Paul is told right up front, your life as a Christian is going to be a life of persecution. Paul is saved in Acts chapter 9. And in verse 16, there's a man by the name of Ananias who is assigned to go and to pray with Paul. And here's what the Lord says to Ananias before Paul even begins his Christian life. For I will show him, I, God, will show him, the Apostle Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And did the Apostle Paul have to suffer? Absolutely he did. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and following. Here is a sampling of the suffering that Paul himself had to do for the sake of the gospel. And the reason I'm reading this to you is because Paul, even based upon what I'm about to read, is an authoritative source who could say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because here's what he had to endure because he stood up for Jesus Christ. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and the day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, Dangers in the wilderness, dangers in New York City, dangers in Dansville, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul understood what he was talking about. And so, when he is about to die... And he writes to young Timothy. And and, and Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus at the time. Paul, in the last book, last chapter he ever writes, writes in 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. You know what the testimony about our Lord is? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Don't be ashamed of that nor of me, Paul, his prisoner. But here's the key. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. But, by contrast, share in suffering. You know what I want to do? I want to tell everybody about Jesus because everybody ought to know And it's the only way of salvation. And I want to speak to everybody and let them know you can only be saved by Jesus. You have to trust in him. You know what else I want? I want everybody to love me. 
And I want them to think well of me. And I want them to speak well of me. And I want them to treat me kindly. And I don't want them to talk behind my back. But I want them to walk up to me and shake my hand and thank me for all that I am. I want to be loved. And I want everybody to know about Jesus. And I want to be loved. And Jesus and Paul say, you can't have both. Beware when all men speak well of you. You don't go out of your way to be hated. But all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. So now you make your decision. Which is more important? Being loved and accepted and thought well of and not rocking the boat? or telling people that they are sinners, but there is a rescue by one means, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you one of the greatest insults I ever received. It was a man that I had known back in the 1980s, lost contact with him, found out that I was a pastor. We started to communicate with one another and the man said this about me. I really like Ed Moore. He's a pastor, but he doesn't try to cram it down your throat. He's very gracious and open-minded and tolerant of others. And I thought, all he is saying is that when I identified myself as a Christian, I was not clear. You see why I call that an insult? Because I didn't stand up boldly for Christ, and he got the impression of me that I was just whatever. Friends, we need to think about the gospel when it comes to embarrassment. And we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to suffer persecution for the name of Jesus Christ? Again, I quote 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul is writing to timid Timothy, and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. And so, when you analyze your own evangelistic efforts would you first please just you don't even have to nod your head but will you admit to yourself that preacher up there is not by himself I have those same conversations I calculate whether or not I'm going to be bold in sharing the gospel and sometimes I don't and sometimes I do but still there are times that I do shrink back Got a call from a gentleman this week, and he was talking about uh, a friend of his, an older man, and the man is dying. The man is on hospice care. The man is not born again. My friend has lived a consistent, godly life in front of him, and he said, what do I do? He said, the man is unconscious now. He's not going to gain consciousness. They're, they're giving him a lot of drugs. They're keeping him comfortable. What, 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 what do I now do? And here's what I said to him. 
I said, number one, I can identify because I have literally passed by thousands of people during the course of my life that I never said a word about Jesus to that person. So what I'm about to say to you, I'm not presenting myself as the hero to make you feel bad. Secondly, I want you to know that when you had time, you should have said something and it was wrong for you not to have said something. Number three, it is in God's hands right now and it has always been in God's hands. And I said number four, most importantly, If you feel badly about the fact that you've known this man for years, but you have not shared the gospel explicitly with him, okay, but don't let it happen again. Speak to people as if they are dying, for indeed they are dying. In fact, they are dead and they will die eternally. Don't look for some sort of an appeasement of your conscience but look to the word of God and hear the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel as it relates to embarrassment. Point number two. The gospel as it relates to energy. Paul says in 116, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now, once again, I know that there is a difference between power and energy, but because we're going with the letter E today, we're going to use the word energy, and you know exactly what I mean. And Paul is saying there is an objective reason why I am not ashamed. And that is there is nothing to be ashamed about because the gospel is powerful. Let me illustrate it by using the football team, the New Orleans Saints. All right, so they started their franchise back in the 1960s. The, I know that they have won a Super Bowl, but generally speaking, they have not been a good franchise over the years. Back in the 1980s, the Saints used to be called the Aints, and they were so bad that their fans would come to the games and they would wear paper bags over their heads because they were ashamed to be seen in the stands rooting for the New Orleans Saints. Now imagine that you are an NFL player and you look up into the stands and there are your fans and they are wearing bags over their heads because they are ashamed of how poorly you play. You know there's one way to get them to stop wearing the bags on their heads? Do you know what it is? Win. Yeah, just win, and the bags will come off. You see, some people are ashamed of their team for good reason. On the other hand, <clears throat> and I've been waiting four decades for this illustration, there are other teams that have nothing to be ashamed about. Like the Georgia Bulldogs. Go dog, sick em, woof, woof, woof. 
who have won 33 out of 34 games and have won back-to-back -back national championships. And going into this next season, we are preseason ranked number one. And you just try to beat us, you're not going to be able to. I proudly hold this shirt up in front of you because we are the best. <laughs> Using that analogy, Paul is saying, it's not that I'm ashamed of the gospel. Uh, it's not that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I, 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 I just, I'm a martyr and I, and, I, and, I, and I want to suffer abuse. No, Paul says there is a reason why I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that is because the gospel is powerful. Notice that he doesn't say it is the power of God unto creation. You imagine the power of God in creation. I, I, find it, I find it humorous that you say that Letchworth State Park is the best state park in America. Not because it isn't. It is. But it is as if you're bragging that you in some way did it. You stand there and you look at Letchworth State Park and you say... The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is the majesty and the power of God on display, not the New York State Parks Department. It is the glory of God. And Paul says, I, it's, I'm not even talking about the power of God in creation. I'm talking about the power of God unto salvation, which is a greater power than the power of creation. He doesn't say... I'm not ashamed of the power of damnation. There's great power in damnation as evidenced by the fact that God put eight people in a boat and he flooded the rest of the world and that was just a foretaste of his wrath and his anger which will be exercised throughout eternity in hell for all who believe. There is great power in, ju in the great judge of all the earth and his power in damnation. But the power of the gospel is greater than the power of creation and the power of damnation. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is a powerful gospel which changes lives and changes people. So when my cousin told me that my aunt in 1955 was the town drunk, it caused me to rejoice. Because in 1959, my aunt fell down a flight of stairs. And she broke her neck. A and when she was in the hospital, she cried out to God to have mercy upon her, to heal her and to save her. Now, I'm not born until 1961, but she gets saved in 1959. And my aunt tells the story of the first time she went back to church after the Lord saved her. And it was a tiny little Christian and Missionary Alliance church in Dubois, Pennsylvania. And it was our custom in those days on Wednesday night prayer meeting that the pastor would say, does anybody have a word of testimony? Does anybody have a word that they would like to share about what the Lord has done in their life? And here's my aunt. She's a brand new Christian. She's been healed 
and she's, she's been saved. And the pastor says that, you know what she does? She keeps her seat, and she doesn't stand up, and she doesn't say a word. The time for sharing passes, the service ends, the Spirit of God is heavy upon her heart. She walks back to her house a few blocks away. She goes in a room privately by herself and she gets down on her knees. She starts to weep and she starts to pray and she said, God, if you ever give me another opportunity to stand up and speak for Jesus Christ, I will never deny you again. Fast forward I'm born in 1961. The practice <clears throat> of allowing people to share was common. I probably don't know what's going on like in the world until maybe 1966 or 67. But I kid you not, every time the pastor would say, does anybody have a word of testimony? I thought that meant... Mrs. Schaefer, will you please get up right now and tell people of how you love Jesus Christ? Because as soon as he says, who would like to go first, she would spring up and with joy and exuberance and freshness and love for Jesus Christ, she would say, I just want to stand in front of you people today and tell you that I love Jesus Christ and he's done so much for me and he's so precious for me. And her entire life, Nobody would beat her to being first, to be the one that would be up and would do that. Why? Because there was the power of God unto salvation in her life. It made a difference in her heart. She was not ashamed because she knew of the great power of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. It's a, it's a fashion question. Why is it that guys with really big muscles wear really small t-shirts? <laughs> Think about it. What is it? Is it because every store that they go into, they say to the clerk, do you have extra large? And they say, I'm sorry, all we have is medium. All right, that's fine. And they're always walking around with these shirts that like it looks like it's cutting off the circulation, right? Why? Why do they do that? It's because they are powerful. They are not ashamed of the fact that they are powerful. They want you to know that they are powerful and they put it out there in front of everyone. Using the analogy with the gospel, why do we shrink back when what we possess is the only information in the world which can save souls and change lives? And we walk around like with these big baggy t-shirts trying to cover up the gospel when in reality we ought to be bold about it. Why? Because we have the power of God unto salvation. So, here's your point of application. Whenever you see a guy that's wearing a shirt that's way too small, and you see his big triceps and biceps, first of all, 
Do not scoff at him. Do not think less of him. But be reminded of the gospel and say, that guy is not ashamed. And there's a reason why he's not ashamed. It's because he's powerful. And then say, I've got something that's even more powerful than his biceps. I need not be ashamed of that. And then put the two things together and walk up to the guy and say, hey, I've noticed your arms. And the reason I've noticed your arms is because you want me to notice your arms because you're wearing that tiny little t-shirt. Let me tell you there's something about that's something that's even more powerful than your arms. And that is the power of God unto salvation, which is the gospel. I'm kidding. But not really, because that person's going to spend eternity somewhere as well. Friends, maybe the reason why you're ashamed of the gospel is because you have not thought recently about how much that gospel has done for you and how it has changed you and what power it has wrought in your life. And maybe if there was a freshness to your relationship with the Lord, there would be more boldness in your evangelism. Which brings me to the final point today, and that is the gospel as it relates to everybody. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. He's going to say it's for the Jew first, then it's for the Greek or the Gentile. Why is it when we think about sharing the gospel, we are so selective? If there's a person that I'm talking to and they have a certain look, they're not intimidating, they have a friendliness about them, uh, they're sort of, you know, seems easy to talk to, then I feel a boldness to go to them and to give them the gospel because it's safe. If I meet someone who is intimidating, either in the way that they're dressing or, or how they present themselves or the tone of their voice or whatever, I am a little bit more sheepish because I think, well, they really wouldn't want to hear what I have to say. And I think we need to stop setting ourselves up as judge and jury, and we need to stop being so discerning and I'm using that like in quotes, like I know who would accept it and who wouldn't. And I think we need to understand the everybody of the gospel. And the way you do that is to understand that everybody is an image bearer of God. And that God cares for everybody. And that God loves everybody. He doesn't love all people redemptively, but he loves everybody in that he has sustained that person. And everyone, as an image bearer of God, is going to spend eternity somewhere. And if you have the information, which, which perhaps would lead that person to life, stop saying to yourself, that person seems like a good candidate to receive, and that person, ah, I don't know. I don't think I should do it. You know, we do this sometimes when I'm on the streets, and I'm, I'm, I'm passing out tracks, and people will be passing by, and I'll just say, that person looks friendly. 
that person looks angry, and I'll choose one or the other. What I have to do, what I have to discipline myself to do when I'm passing out tracks on the street is I say to myself, every human being that passes by me, they're going to get the offer. You know what happens a lot of times? The person who looks the meanest and the coolest and the most distant and the most arrogant sometimes will take the track, and the person that looks the most innocent and the most friendly will pass by you like you're not even there. Like, how do we know who the Lord is working on? If there's anybody who was a stinking unlikely candidate to be, a, to be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the one who wrote this verse. In fact, I would argue he would be the least likely candidate on planet Earth because he was a Christ hater and he was a Christian killer and his life was dedicated to ending Christianity. But God loved him and went after him. So, I'll close with one illustration. Sitting on an airplane with a man. Holy Spirit is speaking. Open your mouth. Say something. Don't be ashamed. This guy's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a businessman. Like, I, I'm a little bit intimidated sitting by this guy. So, you know... Easily we talk about sports. No, no problem there. Holy Spirit is, say something. Say something. I'm disobedient. I'm disobedient. As it turns out, I was, um, at the time I was injured and I, I needed to be taken out of the uh, airport in a wheelchair. And the guy walks out. He walks past me. He's maybe about 15 yards in front of me. I'm in the wheelchair. And it's just sort of like, oh, man. All right, give it a, give it a try, you coward. And I said, sir, sir. And he walked back toward me. He goes, yes. I said, listen, it was nice to meet you. And I, I reached in my bag, and I pulled out a gospel tract, and I handed it to him. And he said to me, Thank you so much. This means the world to me. You don't know how much I appreciate you giving this to me. And I was crushed that I had wasted an hour and a half fearing what this man was going to think when in reality the whole time the man would have been open to take it. Friends, it's for everybody. So faithfulness is you just share and you leave the results to Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. If you have the gospel, share it, and the Lord will take care of the results. Father in heaven, we are weak and we are cowardly. I pray, dear Lord, that we would refresh our relationship with you so that we might know your power. We might recall the power as it saved us. And Father, then in Jesus' name, I pray that we would not be ashamed, but that we would be bold. For Lord, you were not ashamed of us. Lord, please may your gospel reach your elect. May they believe. Lord, thank you for allowing us to have a small part in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.